I want to share with you some thoughts of what God has been dealing with me about in regard to being free from sin. In regard to being free from sin. How do you get free from sin? I don't know about you, but I've had sins in my life that took years to conquer. Years to conquer. It didn't happen overnight. It took messing up over and over and over again. And I noticed something that just shocked me is God never gave up on me. <laughs> he never gave up on me. I, I gave up on me numerous times. And I would whip myself and say, okay, I'm going to try harder. And I would fall again. And that not just with one sin, with many issues in my life. But I look back. I'm How old am I? I think I'm 48. 49, something like that. Uh, I think I just turned 49. I look back on my life and I see God never gave up on me. And that just blows my mind, you know? So how can I get free from sin? And so from my own experience, from but in particular what the Word of God says, I want to share with you how you and I can get free from sin. How you and I can get free from sin. So be ready to take some notes. We're recording this sermon, all right? We're going to start recording every Sunday morning so you can get out there. And I was, let me t- pause this real quick. Nada, thank you so much for doing Wit and Wisdom every month. I mean, that's, that's a huge blessing. It's a huge blessing. And I have failed because I haven't worked with Nada enough to get some of the things that's up and coming in the month. So, but that's changing. In October, you'll see some things in wit and wisdom of, of what's planned for that month, for this coming month. But thank you so much for all you do. Amen. That's a huge, huge blessing. That's right. Amen. All right. So listen to this title. It's really long. To be free from sin, you first have to be free from condemnation. That's the title of this message. <laughs> to be free from sin, you first have to get free from condemnation, the condemnation of sin, all right? Um, I'm sure most everybody, not everybody, but many of us have children or grandchildren, all right? And for those of us that don't have children, you'll still be able to relate to what I'm about to say. If I were to see Cole, I'll pick on him since he's not in here this morning. (laughs) Cole's 12, almost 13 years old, If I were to see him sitting at the table with a a sad look on his face, looking down, and I were to ask him, Colt, what's wrong? Did you have a bad day? What's going on, man? He says, I just feel bad about myself. What's going on? I just feel condemned. I feel just, I feel bad about myself. Don't you think as a father, I would be very, very concerned? (laughs) And I would ask him, well, did did you do something wrong? Yeah, I did. And I keep doing the same thing wrong over and over again. Do you think I would say, well, you deserve to feel bad about yourself then? Would that be a good father to say that? No. As a good father, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to encourage my son. And I'm going to be very worried until the day that that condemnation comes off of his face. And his face is bright and he's happy again. Then I'm going to feel comfortable again that everything's all right. It's a very... An unhealthy thing to be living with condemnation in your life. It's very unhealthy. And it does not come from God. And I'm going to prove that to you today. Religion condemns. God does not condemn. Do you hear me? 
And I know the first thing that saw it in some of our pious minds, you know what a pious person is? A, a very righteous, perfect person. They're going to say, yeah, but if there's sin, something needs to happen. Well, we'll get to that. But first, let's tackle the big elephant in the room, and that's condemnation. Condemnation. All right? Um, so to overcome sin, we first have to overcome condemnation. And today I'd like to share with you how you can overcome your sense of condemnation, how you can overcome it. So we're going to read in Romans 7. We're going to be reading in several places as we normally do. And did you know that Romans 7 comes before Romans 8? Did you know that? All right. Shocking. But that's a very important thing to bear in mind when you're reading Romans 8 is that you understand the chapter that came before Romans 8, which is Romans chapter 7. And so I'm going to share with you just a couple of verses out of Romans 7 that kind of gives you, uh, you know, the, the overall picture of what Romans chapter 7 is saying. It's found in Romans 14, uh, 7, 14, all right? And I'll read it to you. It says, I am unspiritual, and we won't go into all of what that means, but bear with me. I'm unspiritual. Here's the important part. Sold as a slave to sin, all right? I'm bound. I've got chains of sin hanging all over, over me. I wish I could remember. How do I pronounce your little precious baby's name? Alessandra. All right. Alessandra, the most beautiful little baby, more beautiful than my babies were. All right. She was, she's so beautiful. Did you know that precious little girl is already born into being a slave to sin? And someday that little precious thing, when she grows up and has an understanding and an awareness of the things of God and an awareness of her own heart, she will have to make the decision for Christ or not for Christ. All right, She's born as a slave to sin as we all have been. We all have. We're tied down. So how, if, if, some, if some agnostic or atheist were to come and say, well, prove it to me. Prove to me that you're a slave to sin. It's right here in verse 15. Listen to this. It says, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do. <laughs> but what I hate to do. And there's the proof that every single one of us is born a slave to sin, sold as a slave to sin. That's the proof. So let's bring it into practical terms. A drug addict makes up their mind or an alcoholic makes up their mind, I'm not going to drink anymore. And within a week, on a Friday night, they find themselves at the same bar doing the same thing that they told themselves they weren't going to do. They don't want to do it, but they find themselves doing it anyways. That's an example of being sold as a slave to sin. Let's bring it down. Maybe some of us might... We've never had that problem. I can't identify with what you're talking about. Well, let's talk about food, all right? I'm on a diet, and I'm, I am not going to break my diet this week, but I find myself on the, in the pantry late at night when no one's looking, shoving my mouth full of cookies, all right? We chuckle, but that is proof that we're sold as a slave to sin. We can't control ourselves is the point. We're out of control. So, how does this make me feel? <laughs> how does this make you feel? 
whenever you do this. You don't do what you want to do, and you do what you don't want to do. How do you feel? Well, it says it. Uh, the Apostle Paul, we need to study the Apostle Paul, by the way. We've been in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we'll continue there. But one of these days, we're going to get into Acts. I can't wait for us to study the book of Acts together and study who this man, the Apostle Paul, was, who wrote so many powerful books in the New Testament, but books to churches, books to pastors. He was an amazing man of God. So he's the one writing this book of Romans. And he says, here's how he describes how he feels. I, what a wretched man I am. And that's how you feel when you've made up your mind, you're not going to do something. Then you fall into it for the 150th time. You feel like a wretched person who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He gives a clue, but I'll tell you what, when I read that, if I were to read that 20 years ago, that really doesn't help me a whole lot. (laughs) Conceptually, yeah, it sounds good, but what does it mean? How does it work? What do I do? Where do I go from here? That's what we want to study today is the practical things, but he certainly gives some powerful clues as to how we can be rescued from this besetting sin, the sin that keeps tripping us up. So we find, we've read Romans 7, then we jump right into Romans 8, and you can't forget about Romans 7 when you're reading Romans 8. Romans 8, 1 is a, a wonderful scripture that I've spoken to myself and read many times and studied many times. It says there, I'm going to read in the King James Version because I haven't memorized that way. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he says to the wretched man, the wretched woman that I am, instead, okay, you're not going to sin anymore. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, You're not going to sin anymore. He says, no, there's no condemnation for the sin that you keep sinning. Did you get that? He doesn't say, uh, okay, from now on, you're not going to have to struggle with the sin anymore. He says, no, there's no more condemnation associated with a sin that you keep falling into over and over again. And what he's telling us is, in order to get free from sin, we have to get rid and we have to get free from the condemnation associated with sin first. And then we'll get free from the sin second. That's what this, this scripture is telling us. And so um, let, let's first define what this condemnation is. This, this word condemnation here, and I'm no Greek scholar, but I can study uh, books that, that help me understand. But the, the, the Greek word for this word condemnation here is the strongest word possible for the word condemnation. See, in the Greek, there was multiple words that could be translated into the English language as condemnation. This one here is the highest meaning, the strongest meaning, the most, uh, the most severe meaning, okay? And it means literally penalty, the punishment for sin. There is now no more penalty or eternal punishment for sin. Are there human consequences? Yes. I'm not denying that. But the eternal condemnation associated with your sin, you're in Christ, is is taken away. There's no more punishment. There's no more eternal penalty for you if you fall into sin as long as you're in Christ. We're going to talk about being in Christ in just a second. This literally means if you were... 
you, you, let's say you unfortunately hit somebody while you're driving, all right? You go to court and the judge hands down a sentence for you, for your punishment, for having hit that person as you were driving. That's condemnation. It's not a feeling, it's a fact. Condemnation is not a feeling, it's a fact, all right? And so it says here, that there's no more condemnation to hell for you. If you've sinned for the thousandth time and you're in Christ, there's no condemnation to hell for you. There's no wrath of God upon you. How many of you times have you felt that God was mad at you? If you're in Christ, God's wrath is not upon you. You were not appointed to wrath. It also means that God has not turned his back on you. If you're in Christ and you sin, God doesn't turn his back on you. It means that you are not an enemy of God and God is not an enemy of yours. That's what this means. If you're in Christ, you're that Romans chapter 7 person that keeps messing up over and over again. He's saying, hang in there, I'm on your side. I'm on your side. There's no condemnation, eternal condemnation for you. So let me paraphrase this. There is no sentence of eternal punishment for those who are in Christ who struggle with sin on a daily basis as described in Romans 7. There's no condemnation. He's removed that, that uh, man, I'm looking for a word, but that enemy relationship that you might have with God or that you might think that you have with God. So why is this possible? Why is it possible that God would remove this condemnation? Remember, to get free from sin, we got to get free from condemnation first. And in verse 2, it explains why this is possible. Because through Jesus Christ, the law, and let me pause there a second. Everywhere where we see the word law here, Let's use the word control because that's really what it's speaking of, all right? In my family, Tina and I are the law of our family. We set the rules and we go by the rules, all right? What does that mean? We are in control of our family. So here where it speaks of the law, because I used to get confused with this quite a bit. Why is there the law of this and the law of that and the law of the other thing? It's the control of is what it's speaking to. So let me start this verse over again. Because through Christ Jesus, the control of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the control of sin and death. So why can God say there's no condemnation for you and who are in Christ Jesus? Is because he's switched the control mechanism inside of you and said, it's not controlling you anymore. But you say, look at my life. It controls me on a daily basis. The fact is, per the Bible, it doesn't have control over you anymore. And let me give you an example that I've given before, but it's so good, I have to give it again. And it's this. When a baby elephant in a circus is uh, born, they put a stake in between circus events. They put a stake in the ground, and they chase, they chain that baby elephant to that chain. And that baby elephant pulls at that chain, it won't budge. Pulls at that chain, it won't budge. And the elephants have good memories, right? All right? So as that elephant grows into a multi-ton mammoth, it won't pull on the chain anymore. 
Because it remembers when it was little that it tried to pull the chain and it didn't come out. Therefore, it's not going to come out now. And that's how you and I are. We've, we think that that sin has control over us. And the reality, Jesus is saying, no, the control of the Spirit is what has control over you. That's why there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right? Let's read on, though. How did Jesus deliver you and me from the condemnation of sin? How did he do it? Well, in verse 3 it says, For what the law was powerless to do, the law meaning the rules, you know, don't do this, godly rules, by the way, don't think that the New Testament takes the Old Testament and throws all the rules out the window. It doesn't. The Ten Commandments are still alive and well and important to us today. But those Ten Commandments don't have an ounce of power to free you and me from our sins. A law book isn't going to help us at all. It just tells us what the law is. We need help to keep the law. And so it says what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by our flesh. Remember, as soon as you tell me not to do something, I want to do it. Uh, my kids do this. They'll tell me. I, to this day, I struggle with this. Kyle will be, be watching the TV and he says, oh, don't look. What is my first reaction? You know, don't do this. Oh, I'm going to go do it. You know, it's, it's just a natural human tendency. And so it says, for what the law was powerless to do is weakened by our flesh. God did by sending in his, his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. In the likeness. Jesus was a sinless man. But he came in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so listen to this. He condemned sin in flesh. He condemns sin and flesh. What did he do? He doesn't condemn you, but he condemns the sin inside of you without condemning you in the process. It's very similar to what chemotherapy is supposed to do. Uh, I don't think it does a very good job of it, but the intent of chemotherapy is to zoom in on the cancer in an organ and attack the cancer without affecting the organ itself. That's what Jesus did, but he does it perfectly. He, he ha has this, uh, what do you call it, this laser therapy on sin that z condemns the sin without condemning you. So when you sin for the 157th time, you say, praise God, you're condemning my sin, Jesus, but you're not condemning me. He's, he's zooming in on our sin. So in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be met, in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So this is a little bit uh, kind of the, the synopsis, the theory of why we have been set free from the condemnation. The fact that we've been set free from condemn, the, the condemnation of sin. In Colossians 2.14 it says, Having canceled, canceled, the charge of our legal indebtedness. See, when I do something wrong without Christ, I owe God something. I owe him my whole life, all right? A sacrifice of my life, which even then wouldn't be enough to cover my sins. And so he canceled this charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. That's what the Bible says in Colossians 2.14. My sins were legal indebtedness to God. It stood against me and condemned me. But what did he do? He took it away and nailed it to the cross. He took the sin away, and when he took the sin away, he took the condemnation that was associated with that sin. He took that away as well. And you and I were free from condemnation. 
we are free from condemnation. You know, the Bible is full of yes buts. Yes buts. All right? I love this. God showed this to me recently. You know, yes, you did wrong, but I forgive you. The Bible is full of yes buts. It doesn't just say, oh, your sin's okay, you're forgiven. No, it says you did do it. I agree, yes, you did wrong, but I forgive you. Yes, you were part of a broken marriage, but I'm going to take care of your kids. I'm going to make sure your kids are okay through all of this. Yes, you didn't spend your money wisely throughout your lifetime, but I'm going to provide for your needs anyways. Praise God. Yes, you mistreated your body with drugs and alcohol, but I'm going to go ahead and heal you. That's our Father. That's our Savior. That's our God. We're free from condemnation when he says, but it's going to be all right. Praise God. That's the God that you and I serve. So we can't beat sin until we beat the condemnation of sin first by simply accepting what God says is for us, God's grace. You say, yes, God, I'll accept the but part of things. I used to feel so condemned about things that I'd messed up on. And they, some of them weren't even that big of a deal. And God finally pierced my big old hard-headed head and said, but Steve, it's going to be all right. He wiped out the condemnation side of things. Why is this so important? Well, condemnation drives you and me away from God. Anytime you feel con condemned, think about it. You hightail it and go the opposite direction. And Satan knows that, and so he tries to send condemnation, but we're going to talk about that in a second. He tries to send condemnation to put something in between you and God. Yes, sin separates, but condemnation separates even more. <laughs> condemnation separates even more. I'll give you an example. It's, it goes back to cookies and, and all the yummy things that I like. I love sweets. Um, I like to take an Oreo. Do you dip your Oreos in milk? All right. I've gone a step further. I take my whole cake and I'll dump it into the milk and eat it that way. All right. Some people that might sound gross, but you know what I do is if I'm trying to kind of be on a fast away from sweets, which I do routinely, I don't diet. I just fast. I say I'm not going to eat sweets for a week and it keeps it in check. What if I were to just go into the pantry? That's where all our cookies are. And I look at one cookie and I say, you know what? It's all right. I'll just take one little cookie. So I eat it, immediately feel condemned. What do I do? I'm eating a cookie. Why don't I go all out? There's a chocolate bar over here. So I shove the chocolate bar into my mouth. And from there, then I see the Nutella, and I think I'm going to spread some of that on some bread. And that's what condemnation does. It turns you in the opposite direction and shoves you going as hard as you can the opposite. That's why it's so important to understand there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It stops you before you go too far. We've got to learn this. And so in Romans 8.31, so we've been reading kind of at the top of Romans, 
Now we come down deeper into it. Romans 8, by the way, is one of my favorite chapters in the whole, white, whole Bible. Such a, powerful, uh, such a powerful chapter. But it says in eight, Romans 8, 31, What then shall we say in response to these things? Now look at all of these things that it says about God in his relationship to you. If God is for us, all right, he's for me, even when I do wrong. What if I've done wrong a thousand times? Is God still for me? Yeah, he is. He's still for me. So remember that. God is for me. Last, last week we talked about staring at Jesus and saying, the more I stare at him, the more I'm likely to become like him because I'm looking at him. And I've got to respond to him. He molds me, but I've got to look at him. And so let's stare at Jesus right now in these scriptures. If God is for me, who can be against me? In verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. It's another thing God did. He took his own son, and I, you, you know these examples, but if I took Kyle or Sarah or Tara Cole and said, I'm going to give my son up as a, literally, he's, they're going to die for a group of people, I couldn't do that. There's no way I could do that. God did that for me. He didn't stop there. He says, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So he's saying, you know what? Beyond that, I'm going to even give you a lot of other good things. We're not going to stop there. Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? That's condemnation. Who's going to bring a charge against you? It is God who justifies. So that's another thing that God does. He justifies you. Even when you're wrong, he justifies you. Now, there are certain things we've got to do to receive that justification. We need to repent. Believe me, we've got to repent to enter into God's justification. But he justifies you just as if you'd never done anything wrong. Who then is the one who condemns? We're talking about condemnation. And the answer here in the Bible is no one. No one. No one. What is Jesus doing? He's not against you. He's interceding for you. We've got to beat condemnation in our lives. We've got to beat it. And we certainly can't be of those that are condemning others. The point in these scriptures here is the only one in all of creation, in fact, not in creation, the only one in the whole universe that can condemn is God. He's the only one that has the right to condemn and it says right here, he's not condemning you right now. He's not condemning you. So why do we hold on to condemning thoughts? If God isn't condemning me, who's condemning me? Who's doing this? In Revelations 12.10, it says, refers to Satan as the accuser of the brothers and sisters. Or in the King James, the brethren. All right, The accuser of the brothers. Did you know that Satan has no authority to condemn you to hell? He has no authority to penalize you or to punish you in any form or fashion. He has no authority. So why on earth would I listen to someone who has no authority to condemn me? But yet I do all the time. He's accusing me. He's, he stood, I don't believe in my, my humble opinion of what the Bible says, he no longer stands before God. He's been hurled down. And he no longer he even has access to God. I have access to God and the enemy doesn't. Where does that put me in the priority list? <laughs> Amen? So we see in Matthew 25, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but 
that only the Son of Man, when He comes back in His glory with all the angels, He will sit down on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate the people as, as sheep are separated from goats. And He will say to His sheep, you are blessed. That's the opposite of being condemned. Aaron, you are blessed. All right? You're blessed. You're not condemned by my Father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then it skips down. I'm going to skip down into verse 41. What does he say to the goats? At that time, you are cursed. Then there will be condemnation. You will be cursed. That means doomed. Now, when we feel condemned, isn't it a sense of doom, of ominous doom that's coming over us? It's not God doing it because we're not yet at that point in time when the Son of Man has come back and ready to judge the nations. We're not in a time of condemnation. We're in a time of grace right now, a time of grace. Jesus, and only Jesus, has the ultimate authority to condemn and yet he is not doing that right now. In John 3.16, I've been reading these scriptures as if I'd never read them before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, and that believes is a strong word, believes in him enough to follow him the rest of their days. That's the believing that I'm talking about. Whoever believes in him will not perish through condemnation, but have eternal life starting right now, right here. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Did you hear that? But He, he sent His Son to save the world through Him. And by the way, this word con condemned is a little bit different. It's to decide against or decide in favor. Decide against or to decide in favor. And so... Jesus didn't come to decide against you or to decide for you. He came to save you. <laughs> he didn't come to make you feel better about yourself because we can't. He came to save yours and my soul from eternal punishment. All right? It says here in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. In other words, is not decided against. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, meaning they've decided against themselves. God has not decided against them. They have made the decisions for themselves to be decided against by God in the future. That's what these verses mean right here. All right, so we're almost finished here. Jesus didn't come to decide against us. He came to save us. And in Titus 3.11, it really puts this into perspective. I love this. I, I've read it as if I read it for the first time. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus enough to follow him is not condemned by God. They've condemned themselves. Do you want to be that person? No. I want to be free from God's condemnation. Then I want to be free from sin. And then I want to be free to follow God all the days of my life. But it starts with being free from condemnation. What about Peter? He disowned Jesus three times. Right there in front of Jesus' face. At Jesus' sentence and death, Peter disowned God, or the Son of God. He disowned him. 
What did Jesus do after Peter disowned him? Did he reject him? Peter repented, but Jesus restored Peter. So when Peter denied Jesus, was he condemned by the Lord? No. I, I've never disowned Jesus <laughs> like that to his face. I'm sure I've done things that disowned, disowned the Lord. But that, that brutal, that confrontational, I don't think any of us has probably done that. And yet Jesus reached back out to Peter and restored him. Don't you think he can do the same thing for you? What about David standing up there on one, one night? God had given him a kingdom. He had blessed him. He had given him success. And he's walking up there one night and he stares down on this beautiful lady that's not his wife, Bathsheba. And he calls, he gets someone to send down to, to her and brings her up. He, he commits adultery with her. Then he goes on, I won't tell the whole story, but he has her husband killed in battle, set up. And yet God brought David back. Have you ever done that before? Did you do what David has done? I, I bet not. And yet God brought him back. Don't you think God wants to bring you back and free you from a life of condemnation? I think of the Apostle Paul. He and Barnabas, you'd love this story if I had time to tell it. He and Barnabas went out and they took with them this guy named John Mark. In fact, it's the person that we believe wrote the book of Mark. Brought John Mark along with him. John Mark deserted them after a while, went back home. And eventually, Paul and Barnabas got into a fight with one another. So, so Such a big fight that they parted ways. But yet God had mercy on those two men and they continued to have effective ministry even though they didn't handle that situation well. Don't you think God can have mercy and grace with you and remove every ounce of condemnation from you? Absolutely, positively, yes. So we read again in John 3, 3, 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Whoever believes on Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already self-condemned because they have not believed in the name of God, of God's one and only Son. Listen to this. This is the verdict. Life has come, light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Think of how Adam and Eve reacted. As soon as they did wrong, they hid. <laughs> and condemnation causes you to run and hide. But there's, the, there's, there's an aspect that I would be negligent to not express right now, and that's the concept of conviction. Condemnation and conviction are two very different things. The word conviction here, which I'll read on here, it says in verse 20 of John 3, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear of their deeds being exposed. Exposed. And this word exposed is the Greek word for what we would call convict. Conviction in a good way. All right? And so what conviction is, is God shines his holy flashlight, pinpoints in your heart what you have been doing wrong. And he says, there's no condemnation for you 
but I want you to know there's a problem here. All right? And what we're going to do is we're going to dig that problem out of your heart. You've gotten over condemnation. Now I'm going to take the sin out of your heart. And we've got to cooperate with God whenever he does that. Whenever he shines his light in our heart and exposes something, we've got to say, God, you're right. I'm not sure what to do about this, but here I am. Lord, help me get rid of this sin in my life. And when you have condemnation wiped out of the way, the sin can come out a lot easier, a whole lot easier. And so I'm not going to spend, because of time and, and just content here, I'm not going to spend a lot more time. But remember that after you get rid of condemnation, conviction will come. And you've got to cooperate with God to get released from that sin that's tying you down. So, so important. So what does this look like practically? All right, I'll end with this. I fall for the 75th time on the same thing. All right, just pretend like you're me. 75th time, God, I'm, oh, I could kick myself. I'm upset with myself. I feel condemnation, which by the way, the Bible talks of your heart condemning you, all right, in 1 John, but the Bible says God is greater than your heart. You can feel condemned, but the Bible says if you're in Christ, you're not condemned, all right? So I fall, I feel that condemnation. I come to God God's exposing light, and I say, here's my sin, God. Just like David did in Psalms, I think it's 103, where he had sinned with Bathsheba. He wrote a psalm, and he said, here's my sin. This is what I've done wrong. So you expose it to God, or I expose it to God, and then I say, God, I have done wrong. I repent. I acknowledge that what I've done is wrong. I don't just say, God, forgive me. No, I, I've done something wrong. I repent. And I, I think of 1 John 1.19 that says, you know, if I confess my sin, you are faithful and just and will forgive me of all unrighteousness. That's a fact, not a feeling. And I repent and God forgives me. Then I do what's very important. I begin to speak to my sense of condemnation, telling it some of the following things. Condemnation, only God can condemn me. And now is not a season of condemnation. I'm in a time of grace. So I speak to my condemnation and say, you have no place here because God's not condemning me. All right? Furthermore, I give over my life to the control of the Spirit so that I'm not controlled by the sinful nature anymore. I take the opportunity right now after having repented, God, I give you control over my life. And then I ask God to condemn the sin that lives inside of me without condemning myself. God, zap it. God, zap it. Trigger it. Go for it. Yes, I shouldn't have done this, but God, you are faithful and just to forgive me. And my accuser, who's worse off than I am, He's riddled with a lot more sin than I am. He's been thrown out of heaven and has no access to the Father that I have access to. And so I remind myself that I'm in Christ because I believe in Him, I trust in Him, I follow Him, and I, and I, and I, I lean on Him totally. I cling to my God. I'm in Christ. Does that make sense? I challenge you. This is being recorded. You can listen to it after. If you need to this week, you can get the notes off the Internet. But I challenge you to live this this week. Live condemnation free. 
Condemnation drives you away from God. God's love, you, God's love draws you closer to him. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we just praise you and worship you, God, because in order to be free from sin, we have to first be freed from condemnation. Lord, that, that's, that's all got to be dug up and put to the side. Lord, all our condemnation, everything that's laid on top of us that doesn't come from you needs to be dug up and pushed to the side Lord, so that the sin, we can be freed from it. Lord God, we can be freed from it. It can be pinpointed, Lord, and, and we can acknowledge it and know what it is. Oftentimes, our condemnation hides even what our sin is to begin with. Lord, but without that condemnation, we can, we can begin to articulate and clearly understand what the sin is, and you can begin to help us be freed from that sin. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live through the Son of God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, that's us today. Lord, help us to live in that freedom, I pray. In your name I ask these things. Amen. Amen.